0: Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome back, or I guess I should say we're back. So this is the the Digital Tax Donuts, back for season two uh, of our podcast. That's been a little irregular lately, but we're back now, and for very good reason. Um, A lot of our prior discussions focused on tax technology more generally, and even a little bit of VAT, because that was the flavor of the day. But as I'm sure everybody's aware, in, in the UAE right now, um, as a function of the global minimum tax standards that have been sort of uh, publicized and largely talked about from, from the OECD, there's a, a handful of, of new rules and regulations that are coming our way in, uh, in very short order. Uh, in fact, I think for most, most companies in, in the UAE, uh, 2024 will end up being the first year that they pay corporate income tax. Uh, which is a bit of a watershed moment in a country that's always been considered a, a tax haven. Um, and 9%, which is the, the current rate for most companies, uh, probably won't be insignificant uh, for a lot of organizations that have never paid corporate tax before. Of course, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that, and we'll get into some of the details today. Uh, there are, of course, transfer pricing elements to that. There are certain exemptions even that some organizations can avail of to hopefully remove themselves from the requirement to pay tax. Um, and of course, there's a lot of a lot of talk in, in the region and in the country about the impact of free trade zones and, and tax grouping like you see in, in some other countries. But what we're going to talk about today is not necessarily to give an overview of all those rules. We're going to talk about, as you would expect, what that means to organizations from a digital perspective or from a tax technology perspective. Um, there are a lot of really, really cool and interesting technologies uh, that can be used to leverage corporate income tax and hopefully make organizations, uh, make their lives uh, a little bit easier. And I'm joined, this is Jay, by the way, uh, here at PDPC. Uh, I'm joined by my, my colleagues who you'll remember from previous versions, Mustafa, uh, Elliot, and a new addition, Nikki. Uh, who joined us uh, since we had our last since we had our last podcast. So we're just going to talk pretty generally for the next little bit on corporate income tax in the UAE and what it means from a technology perspective. So maybe to get things rolling, Elliot, this is your third or fourth implement tax implementation that you've lived through? How, how do you, how do you see this one being a little bit different than the ones you've seen before? Or maybe maybe more of the same?
1: Yeah, afternoon. I think my face would say there's been more than four or five tax implementations <laughs> that I've worked through. Normally, I've gone through VAT implementations, they've followed a very similar pattern to what we're facing with corporate income tax. But I think the key difference for corporate income tax is that while some of the concepts would be familiar, we talk about thresholds, we talk about potential grouping of companies, we talk about the treatment of free zones and all this is similar language you used before there's now different rules to be applied but with corporate income tax you don't just look at it on a transactional basis you look at a far broader remit of what it possibly means and now you have transfer pricing become very important and we have lots of people join us in transfer pricing to trouble us and understand their concepts we also have a concept of tax accounting which We understand enough to know that it's incredibly difficult, uh, but not (laughs) enough to know of uh, how it's to be treated. So we have a far broader team uh, that are going out to clients and helping to solve these problems. And this, I think, is going to be the the big challenge, the breadth of people and the size of the projects to get people ready. And of course, on on our behalf, we're very lucky that we've been joined by uh, Nikki, who's come across uh, from the Netherlands. and, and. and her focus has been CIT for all of our adult life as, uh, as young as she is. And that, that very much helps us uh, be able to tackle these questions for receiving from clients. So Nikki, how do you see this playing out over the next 18 months, two years, five years, and what time frame are we looking at? Yeah, so thanks, thanks for that,
2: uh, Elliot. That's a great introduction. I mean, it's it's a little bit difficult to say, right? Because one thing that I know from corporate income taxes in in Western Europe is that they're notoriously difficult to predict. Um, Often, the law is not based exactly on rules on how they have to be applied. It can be more vaguely uh, applied based on the actual tax position, and you're not sure until a tax authority actually disputes the position that you have submitted. So it's tough to get certainty. On those aspects as soon as the tax return is submitted uh, but it is also a far broader set of data that you'll need in order to actually submit that tax return there's of course the supposed benefit of tax grouping that is very often identified with uh, organizations as possibly presenting a compliance benefit uh, but from a, a systems perspective this is not actually so much of a benefit as it will take your system a lot of additional functionalities in order to be able to to prepare such a group return. So I think, and and what you also said about the different tax domains that are involved here, it's not just the preparation of a corporate tax return for one single entity. It's about preparing your income tax position, uh, which will be a part of the provision in your financial statements, eventually sort of transforming that position into a fileable UAE corporate tax return for that one particular entity. Um, And then also possibly the ancillary processes around that for the Global Minimum Tax Pillar 2 reporting, if that is something the organization is subject to, Uh, and and there's a lot of other processes involved, disclosure forms for transfer pricing purposes, and we haven't even talked about what that would mean for the data gathering during the financial year under review. So I think what a lot of organizations are starting to face right now is the fact that this is going to go live 1st of June 2023. Um, It's going to be the first financial year under review, which for most organizations is 1st of January 2024, up till 31st of December 2024. And that means the first return needs to be submitted September of 2025. Mm -hmm. It does seem like that's a long time away from now uh but when you think about what you need to have in place before then right you need to be able to identify your tax relevant data you have to start collecting that as of the first of January January 2024 so that is something you need to have in place mm-hmm. so data is one of your key concerns this year before all of that starts happening yeah.
0: so, so let's let's pause there for a second because when you when you talk about data it does. Uh, and, and I want to come back in a second and talk a little bit about what what how companies are managing that data from a corporate income tax perspective. What's what solutions are they using? What systems are available, et cetera? But when you talk about data, I think there's a really key point here. Elliot touched on it to me. When I think about the VAT implementation work, the data was essentially, as Elliot said, transactional level data, Right, what you're buying, what you're selling. Most of the systems uh, upon reflection, you know, most of the systems work that we did a few years ago. When VAT was being rolled out here, it was around billing systems, essentially, right? Transaction mapping, et cetera. What we're talking about here is much more what, what I'll call you know hardcore financial data. It's income statements, it's balance sheets, it's stuff like that. It's not, it's not invoices, you know. Um, so I want to come back in a second and talk a little bit about how companies are doing that, but but wanted to get Mustafa in on this for a little bit, because I because I think this is an important point, particularly for a country that they've only really seen. VAT being implemented, and when they think about technology, they think a certain thing. Do you have any reflections, Mas, on like, you know, the work that we all did a few years ago, getting ready for VAT from a systems perspective, versus, you know, how that'll be different now with, with CIT?
3: So I think it will take a slightly longer process from an IT standpoint, because most of the indirect tax functionality, irregardless of whichever ERP that you're using, is kind of inbuilt and ingrained as part of the configuration. So when we talk about setting up indirect taxes, VAT specifically based on the experiences that we've seen in the UAE, um, it's obvious to see that indirect tax functionality from an SAP standpoint, which is the ERP that I work with, is relatively straightforward to set up. Because there's, uh, there's jurisdictions, there's procedures, there's rules, there's all of the calculation logic embedded as part of the solution. So, the process of setting up VAT and indirect tax, I think, is slightly more straightforward, but when it comes to direct tax, it's slightly different because as Nikki and Elliot have already alluded to, um, there isn't really an out-of-the-box solution where you can switch on and configure this functionality. We're looking at more broader means of of calculating this uh, tax amount which requires some intervention, which isn't kind of hard coded as part of the ERP. Which is why we'll get to a conversation very shortly about the need for looking at either external solutions to the ERP vendor that you're using, or maybe third-party applications that needs to address this hole that I call it in these ERP packages. Mm-hmm.
0: That's that's perfect, and and I think that's a perfect tee up, Nikki, because I mean, when when you when you hear that, and you think you know, you think yeah, a few years ago, as Mustafa said it was more, you know, quote unquote, out of the box functionality. So, you know, what's your reflection on that? And what, and what, in fact, are, are companies doing to get ready for this stuff?
2: It's, uh, yeah, out of the box, I think, is a good way of, of putting it. Um, we see a lot of organizations, they have established ERP systems as part of a, a broader landscape. Uh, what I've seen historically happens from a direct tax perspective is to not necessarily um connect to the ERP system for the detailed data, but to connect initially to a consolidation system, just because that removes the dependency of multiple ERP systems. And that is just historically something that a lot of organizations dealt with. You do see organizations moving to a single source of truth more often right now, but but still the these, Since there is such a close connection between the financial close cycle and tax reporting, tax accounting specifically, because this is a component of the financial statements, you see a lot of these third-party technology solutions actually sort of originating from there. So you have your Thomson Reuters One Source Tax Provision, which is US-based historically, but has great global coverage. Uh, You see Longview, which is also uh, a tax provision software solution, you have OneStream, there are a few others that are used globally where tax accounting really is the starting point uh, and it serves as as a database to hold that tax data and perform the calculations and reporting for tax provisioning specifically. But from there, what you can do is you can use those numbers and prepare your corporate tax returns because essentially your provision is an estimate of what you are going to pay for corporate tax purposes within that year. So, if you are using those solutions, hypothetically, what you can do is you can build in the localizations and make sure that whatever comes out after those localizations are formulated or, or formatted in your corporate tax return. And that is what you will then eventually be able to submit along with other supporting documents. Now, one we've left out of this sort of array of solution, and that is Oracle TRCS, because aside from all the other vendors we just mentioned, Oracle TRCS is actually part of the Oracle Enterprise Performance Management System, which means it's already a module part of the Oracle suites of financial modules. Uh, and that is something that especially clients that are already using Oracle products, such as Oracle FCCS um they can activate the Oracle TRCS module and make use of that with the -the out-of-the-box functionalities for tax accounting purposes that are already ingrained in that.
0: I I think that's such a great point because the the question we get asked all the time and it isn't just about corporate income tax in the UAE but it was about VAT and it's generally sometimes even about you know analytics and dashboarding etc etc is you know should I use the functionality of my current ERP or at least exhaust the possibility of doing that first before I look to to other things. Uh, and I think you know what, what what I hear you say is if you're running Oracle, look at look at the Oracle functionality first and see if that accomplishes your requirements. Uh, sorry, see if you can meet your requirements with that. And then there are potentially other solutions you can you can use. Uh, Mustafa, having a lot of breadth in in SAP any reflections on on that? Is the story the same from an SAP perspective, or do you think it's maybe a little bit different?
3: Yeah, so this is a good question. Um, To answer that question, you need to understand the history of SAP's enterprise suite of products. Um, SAP came to the game very late when it came to tax. Um, Historically, they've always had a way of handling indirect tax, so VAT specifically. Uh, Goes back to the earlier question. But they were very late when it came to developing applications to address uh, direct tax. If you look at the, you know, the the industries, SAP does very strong in oil and gas and resources being an example. You know, there's there, there's been many companies that have struggled to 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 utilise SAP from a configuration standpoint, and they've had to customise and and, and and leverage you know bought on third party solutions. So they haven't historically. Had a, a dedicated solution to address these requirements. But having said that, uh, SAP went through a, a, a bit of a, a dynamic shift four or five years ago. Um, they tried to address the tax market specifically. Um, they came up with this concept that you know very well now, Jay, which is uh, global tax management, GTM for short. Often very confusing because there are there is another product in the SAP space. That falls under the same acronym, so it confuses a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. But this particular product came into play because SAP realized the importance of value of tax and how they haven't addressed that. And um, GTM isn't a product. It's just a, a terminology coined for a host of products. And what they came up with four or five years ago was the Advanced Compliance Reporting Solution, uh, which was an on-premise solution that would handle compliance statutory Regulatory, you know, reporting requirements, and that could include uh, CIT, but but the extension requirements for that particular product to address um, CIT was only specialised or localised for certain countries, CIS countries specifically, so Kazakhstan, Russia. Uh, so there was a framework in place for that, but not really for for, for the broader CIT countries. Um, there was also document compliance, which has become very very important, which addresses your you know uh, electronic invoicing and, and document retention requirements that has become very very popular and important in particular in the region and then there was also other kind of solutions uh, uh, specifically around tax services so they also had their own uh, tax determination engine sas space in the cloud but that didn't really go down that well <laughs> uh, and, and they're phasing that out now to go back to your question can um can direct direct tax be handled um this kind of Piggybacks of what Nikki said, um, you, you have to obviously use a number of things native to the S4 environment, first and foremost. There's this whole element of tax sensitization, and you have to go down to the grassroots and review basically how uh, your your tax accounting structure is handled. There is this notion of basically using the universal journal to, to to determine the types of ledgers that you have in place. Just like in Oracle, there are normal and special ledger accounts. Mm-hmm. You have to start from that, from the ground upwards. But then when it comes to the more downstream element of basically uh, driving how your schedules look like and ultimately designing how the returns should should look like after the calculations are done, then there are a number of options that you can use. I would echo what Nikki said about using some of the kind of existing uh, consolidation solutions. BPC in particular is a very old legacy-based solution that will be eventually um, uh, kind of left Obsolete by SAP because they're not they're not going to maintain that in in the longer run. But there are other products. So SAP has their own version of, of EPM products, similar to Oracle. Uh, there is this solution called PAPM, profitability and performance management, which is an EPM product, just been rebranded under that new acronym. That can address a, a lot of these particular new requirements. But it's important to note that these are not dedicated to SAP products. Mm-hmm. So they're designed to do things that a, 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 a direct tax solution could do, but under a guise of uh, a different terminology. And before I take a breath and allow you guys to jump on, there are other products as well that can be used to augment what I've already stated. You can use some of the analytical solutions, SAP Analytics Cloud, that could augment some of the uh, reporting requirements. But in order for that to work, you would need to have your data sitting on an s 4 S4HANA solution. So clients that are already on an S4HANA environment using the S4HANA database could use SAP. But if you're an ACC customer, it's not likely that you could... Gauge the benefits of our SEC solution. Oh, so, so,
1: so. sorry, sorry, I was going to jump in response because Mustafa was always very erudite and very helpful in explaining to me. I think the journey to get from not being back ready to a back return is much shorter and far um, straighter than it is for getting SAP ready or, or perhaps even Oracle ready. Mm. I think there's a far broader um, class of uh, considerations to be given in regards to tax accounting. I think actually having a CT return is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. The, the work that goes to building that up in relation to you, the answer you gave, Mustafa, but also the tax accounting piece, considerations of transfer pricing, is far greater. And I, I think that's the key message. Really.
0: Yeah, no, I, think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, Mustafa touched on a couple of things too that was around SAP being a little more a little more broad and you can use that technology for, for other taxes. So the one thing we, we haven't talked about, and maybe pass it over to Nikki, to, to talk a little bit about is is this thing called Pillar Two, so you know maybe maybe you know what what is that in a nutshell, and uh, are the systems capabilities and the systems requirements that we've been talking about so far, with respect to corporate income tax, is it the same for this Pillar Two monster, or is that is that something a little bit different in your mind?
2: I mean, Pillar Two really complicates things. I mm-hmm. would say there is our. The, so UAE corporate tax was introduced, of course, because this 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 country wants to move to to mature, uh, direct tax, uh, income tax, jurisdiction, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so uh, it, it became important to introduce something like UAE corporate tax. However, this was also definitely a response to global noise around global minimum tax, Mm. the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 initiatives, and now especially Pillar 2 seems to really be moving ahead full speed where um, it's going to be necessary for organizations to be able to track income taxes and effective tax rates on a jurisdictional level. Mm. So that can be complicated in a number of ways, especially for organizations that don't have a lot of control but consolidates a number of different entities in different regions that really have nothing to do with each other but suddenly you're going to be obliged to prepare an effective tax rate calculation for one particular jurisdiction even though these Mm -hmm. entities have nothing to do with each other you have to somehow be able to gather that data and calculate of course there's intricacies in gathering the data because you need a sufficient level of detail and i think we've identified over 250 granular tax data points that you need in your ERP chart account in order to be able to identify mm-hmm. those data points that you need for the calculations. Um, but that's not all because systems like uh, often ERP systems don't have a separate dimension as they call it to aggregate according to a tax jurisdiction because a jurisdiction for a system may be different than a jurisdiction for tax purposes. Mm. So if you want to build in that functionality and aggregate up those numbers, another added difficulty is you can't compare apples to lemons to pears to oranges in different regions. Everything has to be in one accounting standard. So you have to make sure that all those numbers are repaired according to IFRS, International Financial Reporting Standards. Mm. So if you want to calculate and compare effective tax rates that are comparable to one another you have to make sure that it's the same accounting standard that they can be aggregated according to that jurisdiction tax jurisdiction and then only then can you assess if you fall below that 15 percent minimum tax for etr wow now of course there's a lot of additional very complex calculations that happen beyond that there's a lot of abbreviations that i won't bore people with because We tax people love our abbreviations and acronyms. But what it comes down to is for pillar two purposes, if you add that to your array of existing tax domains that you have to cater to for direct tax purposes, you have to ask yourself if it's even possible to start working with a patchwork of different solutions that cater to the different requirements for each of them, because aggregation is a different party Mm -hmm. than consolidation. So where we need consolidation for tax accounting purposes to get the group tax position and consolidation for preparation of a group tax return, um, we need aggregation for Pillar 2. And that's where having a separate database for tax purposes can really help you. Now, the question is, this tax database can help you as a starting point to gather your data. I think a second step for organizations is to decide, do they want to automate a large part of the process? Because Mm -hmm. you can go crazy, right? Mm -hmm. You can give this platform wings and make it fly and maybe a rocket launcher on top Mm -hmm. of it. It can be amazing. Mm -hmm. But you can also say, I'm just gonna set up the platform what I need it for. We're going to gather our data there. We're going to make sure that we have that data for the amount of years that we need it for storage purposes, for audit purposes, so that we can effectively defend our tax position what we've submitted to -hmm. the tax authorities um and maybe at a later stage we'll start to add cool functionalities features because this is really the beginning of income taxes in this region right this is where this is a starting point i mean the zero percent withholding tax Mm -hmm. rates it's It's only a gateway for, you know, future reporting uh, and and as soon as taxes really become embedded much more corporate taxes, at least uh, in the landscape, we're going to see different requirements because right now it's about complying and submitting tax returns. In the future, it's going to be about optimizing that Mm -hmm. tax position, right? Mm -hmm. Having insight in the entire chain for tax transparency purposes. We're not touching ESG in this podcast. but ESG has important tax contribution considerations to, to take into account here as well. And mm-hmm. when you're thinking about, I want to make sure that I am tax ready for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. then having a platform or a sort of tax database to start with really puts you in the best position to start adding functionalities on top of that.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's, those are some really, really great points because I think as much work as we're doing right now to get Clients and organizations ready for corporate income tax. There's still a bit more work to do for pillar two along those lines. And, and you know, our, our educated guess is in the next you know 12 plus months, you'll probably see a handful of solutions come to the marketplace. Even the SAPs and the Oracles of the world look to develop enhanced functionality mm-hmm. like you're talking about to take that data and, and do and do cool stuff with it uh, because it is complicated. But, you know, my sort of general rule of thumb is if if corporate income tax is a is a two, you know, pillar tax, pillar uh, sorry, pillar two could literally be an eight or nine on a scale of complexity, right? from, yeah. uh, from for for some organizations and what they need to do to get ready for this.
2: Definitely, mm-hmm. also because it's not it's not focused on just one jurisdiction, right? It's exactly. about getting everything right for all your jurisdictions. Exactly. It's Almost, you can compare it more I think to CBCR mm-hmm. with way more complicated calculations, plus the added difficulty of having to file something I'm possibly making a payment and top up taxes and it's 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 very complicated
0: there's lo- there's, lo- there's lots to do for sure uh, it's an understatement so, so Elliot I wanted to kind of maybe throw it back to you to as we wind this thing down mm. you know we started it saying you know four or five implementations you know you've been through I've been through a few I've been reflecting a lot lately on the the VAT implementation in the UAE and in Saudi and in Bahrain and even Oman a little while ago um, Qatar, and who knows maybe Kuwait's still on the horizon. But when you think about this and, and you think the lessons learned in this region, in all those countries from implementing VAT, and you, you know, you're somebody listening to this podcast today. you're hearing us talk about corporate income tax, pillar two, and all the systems readiness perspectives. Um, you know, so, some organizations it could it could you know give them a little bit of pause and sort of scare them a little bit. What what, what do you think the the next steps are? What should should companies do now to get ready for this this tax and
1: and the requirements coming up in the next little bit? I I think there's a few things that jump out at me. First of all, the the time to change an organization to uh, deliver a project or to make the requisite changes to be ready for corporate income tax and debts will be a finite amount of time and you'll know your organization. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have a period of time in which you need to make those changes. And we have a finite window left in which to make those changes. So you either do it before uh, at the end of this year, which I think would be optimal to ensure you can start tracking uh, certain uh, domains such as depreciation and expenses. I think that that would be ideal to finish for at the end of the calendar year. Um, the other factor you need to consider is it's all very well saying to IT, get me ready mm-hmm. in corporate context. but you have to bear in mind these IT teams tend to be. Uh, stretched already, their calendars have mapped out years in advance, so you need to start factoring their availability, uh, taxes availability, finance availability. And and the third key point is this is a very broad engagement, it's a very broad change because it's not just VAT as a a narrow field looking at transactions, you will have a raft of PwC people appear at your doorstep (laughs) with a number of different streams all trying to make the relevant changes because it cuts across so many So look to your external advisor of choice, PwC, or look at how you upskill it immediately. It's something to give consideration.
0: No, I think those are, those are excellent points. I mean, I, I do remember, you know, four or five years ago when 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 VAT was the flavor du jour. And, you know, some organizations got ahead of it, you know, in time. And there was lots of time and they could hire advisors and they could get themselves ready. And then there were organizations that probably waited... Let's just say a little bit too late in the game, and we're struggling to get uh, to get tax returns in by the by the requisite sort of due dates. Um, well, look on on that note, we'll probably take a pause. We will be back for a second uh, a second edition of this conversation uh, as time progresses and, and update update everybody on on the progress being made and sort of tips and tracks on what we're seeing as the corporate income tax journey and the pillar two journey unfolds in the UAE and, and across the region. Uh, But for now, from Dubai, we're the Donuts and we're signing off. Thanks, everyone. See you.